Hello, friends. My name is Joe Bettner, and this is the Eyes on Oklahoma podcast. It is Kansas week, and the Sooners are coming off of a 52-31 win over TCU, and we will get into that in a second, but want to thank you all for making us a part of your week and apologize because we did not mean to get the episode out late Thursday, early Friday morning. Uh, we would have preferred uh, Monday night, uh, early Tuesday, uh, but that's not how things worked out this week, and here we are talking about OU Kansas and as well as some kind of final thoughts on OUTCU kind of moving past that game. But once again, appreciate you all for listening, subscribing to the podcast. And if you're not already, Eyes on Oklahoma podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. Uh, we appreciate all of you that have already left a five-star rating and review on the Apple podcast app. And if you haven't done so already, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps get the word out about the show. And also thank you to everyone who subscribed to the Eyes on Oklahoma newsletter. Uh, it has been a fun, fun ride as we get into the midway point of the college football season. Oklahoma is 7-0 and and presumably will be 8-0 after this weekend, barring a massive upset from Kansas, who is a 38.5 point underdog going into this game. And we will discuss that a little bit later in the episode. We're having Andy Mitz of the Rock Chalk podcast coming on to discuss the matchup and really more so just kind of big picture thoughts on Kansas and how things are going over there in Lawrence. Uh, but before we get into that, OUTCU, a lot to discuss. A big, big day in terms of the Oklahoma football program, starting a true freshman at quarterback, Caleb Williams. The energy inside of Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium was absolutely electric, and there's no other way to put it. It was absolutely electric. When he was announced as the starter, the stadium just kind of erupted as if a touchdown had just been scored. Have not quite seen that kind of introduction to Owen Field for, you know, a, a debut starter, but fans obviously are very excited about the Caleb Williams there. And how could you not be after what he did against Texas, leading that come from behind victory? Caleb Williams is the fifth true freshman quarterback at Oklahoma to start a game. He is the first since Cale Gundy in 1990, which is pretty incredible. And the craziest part of it all is he played lights out. I mean, this is as good as Oklahoma's offense has looked all season long. The first drive, they didn't do anything super fancy. They just kind of let Caleb Williams operate and that carried throughout the game. Now, obviously in that first half, TCU looked like they were going to make it more of a game than it could have been. And I think that obviously with momentum and everything, it could have very much shifted into TCU's favor. And I think, uh, and I don't want to, you know, it, it's tough saying this, but I mean, I don't know if Spencer Rattler takes care of it like like Caleb Williams did because that that two minute uh, drill that he led to end the second quarter was just phenomenal and they take it into the second half and rattle off three consecutive touchdown drives to to open up the third quarter just outstanding work from Oklahoma's offense just a complete 180 from what they were going into that Kansas State game at the beginning of the month. And it really, a lot of it has to do with Caleb Williams, but I mean, Kennedy Brooks, I think is just kind of getting lost in this huge national story. And obviously it's a huge, huge thing. What Caleb Williams has done, you know, unseating the preseason Heisman favorite as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma and getting odds of his own to win the Heisman trophy with one start under his belt. Mind you, it is October 21st as we record this, but I mean, it's, it's all there for Caleb Williams to get an invite to New York. I don't know if he'll be able to do enough to sway voters not to vote for a guy like Bryce Young or or Matt Corral from Ole Miss. I mean, 
295 yards, though, 18 of 23, four touchdowns. You look on the other side of things, Max Duggan, as I mentioned, 346 passing yards, 20 of 30, four touchdowns, a career day for him. But just a, a monumental, monumental day for, for Oklahoma football as it looks like the beginning of a new era as far as the OU offense goes. The defense, a little bit different, but offensively, this is as good as I think we've seen you know, them run the ball and that, you know, once again, going back to Kennedy Brooks, Kennedy Brooks is playing lights out right now. I mean, get putting up 153 after having a 200 plus game against Texas. They've, they've really come a long way from just the beginning of the season where it just really did not feel like Oklahoma could get anything going, but offensive line just seems to be coming together. And obviously it helps a lot when I think you have a quarterback like Caleb Williams who can run the ball and it's kind of opening up this offense to new possibilities that uh, were, have been there in the past, but just were not there with Spencer Rattler as great of a quarterback as Spencer Rattler is. He's just, he's limited as far as, you know, being able to work in the pocket and just has never kind of had that gear where it feels like, you know, if he needs to improvise, if the pocket collapses on him, Spencer Rattler can go out there and make a play. And that's just never really been his MO. Uh, but the arm talent is pretty sensational and uh, thought for a second, you know, Spencer Rattler might get to uh, enter this game at some point, but likely will be playing <laughs> on Saturday uh, against Kansas. Um, he has not uh, left the program despite uh, multiple, you know, rumors. And uh, it's been a, it's been a fun time online uh, if you uh, follow the Oklahoma Sooners. But uh, once again, just a great um, performance from the Oklahoma offense. Defensively, it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> it's really not great. And, and honestly, it felt like the Deshaun White fumble recovery that he took back for what could have been a touchdown and was negated because of the dumbest rule in college football. It honestly encapsul- encapsulated a lot, a lot of what Oklahoma Oklahoma's defense played on Saturday. I mean, and I'm not trying to like, you know, you know, I'm not trying to dog on Deshaun White or anything like that. It was a great play and, you know, great uh, effort by Latrell McCutcheon to strip the ball and then Deshaun White to pick it up and, you know, take it the other way, but uh, it felt like so many times Oklahoma was just in position to to make a defensive stop and miss tackle after miss tackle. It just like everything was good for like 99% of what was happening. And then just at the last second, uh, and some of that has to obviously do with Quentin Johnston. Uh, and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at as far as like secondary issues. I mean, OU is going to go up against some really talented receivers in this league, Quentin Johnston being one of them. But you know, I felt like a, a guy like Joshua Eaton, uh, Latrell McCutcheon, these are guys that I feel like are you know, super young, super raw, but they're they're in positions. It's just fin- it's a matter of finishing plays, um, and when they can do that, it's you know going to be probably closer to the defense that Alex Grinch expects to go out on the field. But uh, the, the missed tackles are definitely uh, not the you know best thing for probably a lot of OU fans. This PTSD from the Mike Stoops era. Just really Saturday night was very reminiscent of what a Mike Stoops game kind of felt like and the Oklahoma offense did everything that it needed to do, including a fourth quarter drive that consumed a lot of clock when at a time when TCU, like I mentioned, I mean, this could have been um, probably a bigger blowout if, if Oklahoma plays a better defensive game, but TCU was very much in it in the fourth quarter. They had a shot to drive down the field and cut it to seven. They did not. Oklahoma ends up getting away from this game with a 21 point win. 
those things are positive. And as I've mentioned on the newsletter and I've mentioned on the podcast last week, the, fa- the, the schedule is super favorable with Kansas this weekend and then Texas Tech the next week, an off week. And then you get into this gauntlet of Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. And a really tough way to end the regular season, especially considering it very much looks like OU is going to play one of those three teams for um, a Big 12 championship if it is to get there to Arlington. But obviously, the Sooners still being undefeated, Oklahoma State still being undefeated. Those are the two teams with a very good inside track to getting to AT&T Stadium. But it, it's a very real possibility that one of those three teams that OU ends its slate with will meet them again shortly after. But it's it's a, it's a tough way to, to, to end, but Lincoln Riley has a few weeks at least to kind of, once again, get more reps for a, a very young secondary uh, and obviously an offense that has not had a whole lot of reps together because Spencer Rattler was the starter for the first half of the season. But I guess my concern probably maybe maybe should be more for Caleb Williams. Just being a true freshman, he's eventually going to make true freshman mistakes. But I just think he put a lot of people at ease on Saturday night. Um, I mean, it really was pretty remarkable what is what he was able to go out there and do um it reminded me so much of sam bradford's first game now obviously i'm not trying to <laughs> compare tcu to north texas which was the first game of the the bradford era back in the the 2007 season opener um although the tcu defense is one of the worst that gary patterson has put out um i think that's very much very much worth noting, but at the same time, Oklahoma has not beaten teams like this this season. They probably should have beat by 21. Possibly things are different with Caleb Williams. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But it was very reminiscent of what you saw out of Sam Bradford in his first game. Just You could just tell how special that that type of player was, just very much in command. Uh, and Caleb Williams, I mean, that's the big thing, man, is he, he looks in command. Uh, the 41-yard the uh, touchdown run is just... Very, I don't want to say it was Kyler-esque, but I mean, I, I think I tweeted that in the moment. And, you know, he's not nearly as quick as Kyler and really who is. But, I mean, it, it almost feels like his trajectory is to be a better version of what I think Jalen Hurts, people, what people thought Jalen Hurts was. And for Caleb Williams, that comes into play with just like being a guy that can be mobile but can also sling it and the guy has a cannon I mean he's he is opening up this offense to to just new things that they weren't able to achieve under Spencer Rattler I mean I I think I think that's fair to say at this point Jaden Hazelwood uh and Marvin Mims the way they've been able to get going with Caleb Williams um as the quarterback is just different it's just super different um and you probably expect to see Spencer Rattler at some point later this season, um, whether it be in a, you know some type of package uh, designed for him, designed around him to keep him engaged. Because you know, just there's so many factors at play, and that that was the you know when Spencer Rattler was the starting quarterback, that was the thing for Caleb Williams is like keeping that you know five star true freshman engaged, keep him keep him motivated, keep him ready. And he was very much ready. And this is obviously a very different situation. You wonder how much Spencer Rattler's just whole, you know, his whole psyche is throughout the last part of the season. Cause it very much feels like he's going to stay and stick it out. I don't think he's hitting the transfer portal anytime soon. Once again, despite what uh, some message boards uh, might have you believe, but uh, this is a, it's a tricky situation. I think for Lincoln Riley, just in terms of uh, a new era for quarterbacks where, 
you know, Lincoln Riley pass this season, probably, you know, once Spencer Rattler inevitably hits the transfer portal or goes to the NFL draft, which I would not be shocked if he, if he went that route that just feels like something he might do, um, then it won't, it will no longer be a headache. But, and I understand the the I guess the frustration with, uh, with where everything, where, where with where certain fans are coming from as far as just like why is, you know, you know Lincoln treating the QB situation like he is and it's just he has to it's just a new era of college football but, um, I definitely just curious to see how Caleb Williams progresses and and gets ready for a game like Kansas and obviously it's probably not gonna tell us a whole lot but just kind of looking at what he's been able to do in some pretty high pressure situations and to be a leader on the field. I, th- I think he checks all those boxes for him to go in to Kansas. You gotta, if you're an OU fan, you've got to hope that he, he can navigate, you know, not sleepwalking against a team that Oklahoma should be able to, to beat by, you know, 50 or 60 points. Um, if, if that's how the game, you know, if that's how the game goes. And so it's just going to, be an interesting watch, um, but I would not blame anyone who uh, probably has some housework that they need to get done. And uh, this is a good weekend to kind of almost treat like an early bye week because Oklahoma has had had a bit of a slog uh, getting through the first uh, part of its schedule. It'll have played nine games uh, after next week. It'll have played nine games before its first bye week of the season. Um, and then they get into that tough stretch with Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. So anyway, I've rambled enough. Um, once again, appreciate you all for making us part of your week. And if you want to listen to the interview with uh, Andy Mitz from Rock Chalk Podcast, that starts here in a few minutes. But just want to also remind you, thank you um, for all of those who have already subscribed. But if you're not already, I um, would appreciate you all uh, subscribing not only to the podcast on all the major podcast platforms, uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, um, they're all there. But if you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, we deliver uh, pretty much daily at this point, um, putting out content uh, constantly uh, that goes straight to your email inbox. And so we, we appreciate all the feedback from everyone and the people that have already subscribed. Uh, but if you're not already, uh, there is a free version and a paid version. The paid version starts at five bucks a month and $50 annually. So a little bit of a discount there. And also if you have a uh, if you have an edu email if you're in college you can get a uh, 50% off uh, promo code by going to eyesonoklahoma.substack.com/college and if you want to try it out for free you can go to that same address but switch out college for free eyesonoklahoma.substack.com/free and you can get a 7 day free trial just to kind of see what it looks like so anyway i've done enough talking andy mitts rock chalk podcast good conversation hope you guys enjoy it and uh yeah on the program now, we have Andy Mitz, the managing editor for Rock Chalk Talk and host of the Rock Chalk Pod, which just some great branding there on your part, Andy, and the whole uh, Kansas SB Nation blog community. Um, Andy, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Rock Chalk Talk obviously was there before I got there. We actually took it over from from the guy that was doing it before. But, you know, I was really surprised when I went to go name the podcast and Rock Chalk Podcast was still available and the Twitter handle at Rock Chalk Pod was also available. I was just like, wait a minute, how has nobody snapped these up? So yeah, it was great branding because it's pretty obvious immediately once you see it, what it's about. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing both that and then writing over for Rock Chalk Talk as well. Well, I was peeking at the writing at Rock Chalk Talk and your colleague, Mike Plank. I was looking at his uh, Texas Tech uh, re- his mini recap. It is not a yeah. great times in Lawrence, Kansas, and the Sooners will be going down or going up 
to Lawrence this weekend. Um, curious, we, uh, I, as I've informed my listeners, I, I went on your podcast and I appreciate you for coming on to mine. Uh, does not feel like the, the overall sentiment is that an upset is brewing for the Kansas Jayhawks. No, I know. I mean, we had thought maybe there was an opportunity last week against Texas Tech for homecoming. Um, just because, you know, I think that was more about what we thought of Texas Tech at the time. And honestly, what a lot of Texas Tech fans thought about their team at the time. Um, but it's pretty obvious that something is going on with this Kansas team that, that uh, well, it, it, it actually is probably a bunch of different things going on with this Kansas team. You know, they did have three huge transfers out of the, out of the program. Um, two on the defensive line in Dejon Terry and Marcus Harris, and then one in the cornerback with Karan Prunty, who was a freshman All-American last year. So it's like really, really good talent that they had that caused that defense to take a huge step back. We had thought maybe they had some guys that could step up on the defensive line to kind of take over and make that not necessarily as big of an issue. Um, Kyron Johnson is a guy who's, who's really stepped up, but he was a big contributor last year. So it's not like you know him stepping into the lead role was was, you know, finding something new. It was essentially replacing a guy that was, you know, the third best defensive lineman with making him the best guy now and not really backfilling very well, um, which, you know, isn't really entirely the coaching staff's fault. In fact, it's not really this coaching staff's fault at all. But I think the big the big hit was Karan Pronti. Um, you know, he was such a, a big um, part of what that defense did last year. And while Jacoby Bryan has been performing pretty well in practice and seems like he's playing pretty well in games because you don't hear his name very often, which is like the highest praise you can get for any kind of cornerback. Um, you know, it, you can tell that they're missing something. And the expectation coming into this year was you're going to have Karan Pronti on one side and Jacoby Bryan on the other side that really were two lockdown corners that would make it really hard for teams to go deep on this Jayhawk squad. When you, when you add in a guy like Kenny Logan at safety, you know, like it seemed like this was going to be a very deep defensive secondary and it just never materialized because we had so many losses at this point. Unfortunately, that means that the defense has been absolutely horrible. <laughs> and like the offense has to pretty much score every single time for Kansas to have a chance to stay in the game. And I just don't think that the offense is good enough to do that. I mean, you're not going to find too much sympathy from Oklahoma fans who have lived with a team that uh, basically if the offense doesn't score, the, the game's going to be lost pretty easily. Not that that is the case for this current, I think, Oklahoma team that has a much better defense. But I'm curious, you have a, a new coaching staff in place. I'm assuming patience is uh, is there from from the fan base. I'm curious what the overall mood is from Kansas fans and just kind of this almost year one. It almost feels like unfair because they came in so late um, in the process. I'm, I'm I'm wondering what the mood is like with with Kansas fans in the, in this new coaching staff. Yeah, actually, Philip Philip Slavin, my cohort over on the Ten Twelve Network, actually had made a comment about this on Twitter. This isn't even year like this, this isn't year one. This isn't even year zero. It's probably year negative one because if you think about it. You know, they came into the year um, like the coaching staff didn't even get here until the day after the spring football game, uh, which means they literally had no time during spring practices to work on anything. They had a few like summer workouts. You know, they brought in the strength and conditioning co uh, staff and so had workouts with the team at that point, but didn't really get to go over any kind of scheming or anything like that. The first time that they actually got to sit down with the players and go over football stuff was the first day of fall camp, which isn't a lot of time to institute a brand new system to really understand what these guys can do to look at what they can do on the field. Yeah. You can look at the, the film that you have and then those sorts of things but that doesn't help at all with seeing what they've developed, you know, how they actually 
work in the situations you want them to. You can just kind of see what they did based off of the information you have about what they were supposed to be doing previously. You know, Lance Leipold's system is completely different from Les Miles' system. Um, well, assuming that Les Miles actually has a system, to be honest, at, a lot of times we couldn't really tell. Um, but, you know, I mean, so it's, it's one of those things where Leipold came in with literally like no time to do what he wanted to do before they had to start getting ready for games. And so it's really hard to properly evaluate what it is they're trying to do. We don't even know at this point if they're still trying to teach like basic terminology of the offense and defense or what's going on at this point. You would think that they picked up most of that, but with how many, you know, defensive penalties, like, you know, just, I guess, uh, like discipline penalties they've had, like all the issues that they've had reads to me either, either that the, the people aren't bought in, which doesn't seem to be the case, given, given all the quotes that came out when Leipold got hired and everything that we've heard from inside the program at this point seems like everyone's bought in. So it reads more to me like these guys are just still unfamiliar with what's going on. You know, they're still trying to learn the systems. They're still trying to learn the terminology. They're still trying to get that, you know, un, like non-vocal chemistry that they need to know when they're supposed to go and make sure they're not jumping off sides, kind of read the signs from each other, you know, kind of that, just the, the, I guess the, the hints they need from like other people on the offensive line or things like that. Like there's a lot of, a lot of team chemistry type things that haven't developed yet just because of, the way that they're at. And so the, the, I think the biggest problem was we all expected this coming into the season before the first game kicked off. We really did expect this to be a very painful season. The problem was there was enough other teams in the big 12 or other teams on Kansas schedule thinking Duke that were expected to be bad enough that if things went right and Kansas were to latch onto what Leipold was trying to do, that they could have been competitive. So a lot of people, myself included, probably, you know, pumped ourselves up and, made ourselves think it was possible they'd be more competitive than they probably were ever going to be. Um, so it's been rough. There's a, you know, there's a lot of people I think that are overreacting to the way that the team is right now, because, you know, we've seen this way too many times. We've had way too many seasons where the expectation was one or maybe two wins and you underperformed, um, you know, and that's, that's really hard to do when, when there's no expectations to underperform those expectations is really, really hard to do, Very especially difficult. as often as Kansas has done. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where, people are starting to see similar sorts of things. I think what, what is going on though, is that these are for different reasons. It's not because we have incompetent coaches or they just don't have any players that are actually big 12 caliber players. It's they have guys that are either fringe big 12 caliber players or can develop into big 12 caliber players with a coaching staff that's brand new and they need time to get it all to work and to mesh together. And so that's really where it is at this point. It looks just as bleak as it was before, but there is a lot of hope that in the next couple of years, they can start to get things turned around so that they're actually competitive in big 12 games. And hopefully they can start to sneak some wins out of here. I mean, definitely. I, I don't think it takes like a bunch of four or five stars to go out and make some noise in this conference. I think TCU and Baylor really proved that this last decade. Iowa State's proving that right now. Kansas State is obviously that's always kind of been their MO. Um, and I really like some of the young talent that Kansas has. And as I mentioned on your podcast, like they've dipped into Oklahoma, they've found some really good guys. And um, I would imagine that a guy like Lance Leipold, you know, just kind of the success he's had before that should be even easier to recruit in like the Southern. I mean, I know Kansas is more Midwest, but like you still have those connections into this part of the country where there's a lot of football talent. Uh, but like you said, man, it's, it's a, it's such a tough, 
tough thing for Kansas to kind of step into the situation with the, or the, the coaching staff to step into the situation and with the big 12, the way it is, the way it is. I mean, I honestly, like, I feel like this conference is a lot deeper than it's been um, in a few years. And I was going to, I was looking at Kansas schedule. I mean, you got Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas still left on the schedule, but I mean, I don't think that Kansas state, and obviously that's a rivalry game for you all, but you know, Kansas state being, being there and then West Virginia and TCU to end the year, just there, there's uh, it, it's, it's not easy. And when you don't have that preparation, I, I don't think that people, uh, especially from last year, um, it almost felt like at times people forgot with, uh, with COVID because then all 130 FBS teams are going through this thing where there's no install. There's no, uh, and there's obviously some more established teams. The veteran teams, I think, played really well in 2020 uh, because they didn't need that. But Kansas is kind of in this isolated uh, scenario where they just are at a very big disadvantage and Kansas can't take any more really disadvantages. Um, I do wonder though, uh, Oklahoma fans probably expecting this game to be over by halftime. Kansas though, is there a player offensively that you think can really challenge this Oklahoma defense? Cause it's not looked great. Uh, the past few weeks, I think the Texas game is a little bit of a, an outlier in some ways, just because of how the game started with some weird turnover luck and stuff like that. But does, does Kansas have a guy that the Oklahoma fans should be aware of that could, you know, maybe pop up and, uh, you know, be a guy that can maybe make some plays. Yeah. I mean, the guy on offense would have to be Devin Neal. Um, you know, he is a, a, a true freshman running back um, was highly, highly rated, you know, is a very, very good recruit. And it, it took a little while for him to kind of get his feet going. He has gotten a lot better at reading the defense, um, you know, finding those holes in the defensive line, trying to find ways to, to go ahead and get it turned up. He used to do, like, earlier in the year, he was doing a lot more running side to side than he needed to um, and really has started to, to kind of cut up where he actually has an opportunity now. Um, really, it's going to depend a lot on how, how stout Oklahoma's defensive line is in this particular game. But if there is a guy that's going to have a breakout game of some sort, and is going to really kind of rack up some big plays. It's going to be a guy like Devin Neal. Jason Bean is the other candidate. Um, I do think, though, he 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 can definitely run from the quarterback position, but I think he relies on his legs a little bit too much. Um, and so he gets out there and then ends up turning the ball over because he tries to throw on the run, um, which is really not his strong suit. You know, he already has downfield accuracy issues. Um, and when he gets out on the on the perimeter, instead of stopping, planting his feet and then throwing it, he'll just keep running and try to throw it there. And then his issues get a whole lot worse. So I would imagine that Jason Bean's probably going to have a couple turnovers where it's just bad throws that he shouldn't have have thrown because he's going to try to make a play happen while he's running. Um, but I think that Devin Neal could definitely pop off a few runs, especially some really large gains. If Kansas scores, it's either going to be because Miles um, Kendrick comes in at the very end and, and they score in garbage time or Devin Neal found a couple seams and, and is able to run for, for some long touchdowns. Kind of getting, I, I was going to ask you, and I think I almost brought this up on the podcast or on your podcast, but any chance Kansas covers that 38 and a half point spread? Or do you, are, are you, or is it, is it that bleak that that almost feels unattainable or do you feel like that's realistic? I mean, Kansas hasn't covered a spread in who knows how long it's been a really, really long time. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, a stat that got thrown out that uh, there's only two teams in all of college football that are worse against the spread than Kansas. Um, you know, and and there's actually four teams that hadn't covered a spread all year long. There's Kansas and Clemson were both 0-6 against the spread. And then Missouri, and I believe it was uh, New Mexico State, I believe. I, I might have been wrong, but those were both 0-7. Um, so, like, you know, they're very, very bad against the spread. It seemed, it always seems like the line is way too high, and yet 
it never even comes close. You know, like I thought that 16 and a half for last week against Texas Tech was like ridiculously high because Kansas always plays Texas Tech close um, or at least plays really weird games against them. And it was just it was wasn't even close. Like they, they were at 41 to nothing at one point. I don't know how Kansas keeps this game that close. Um, literally, like it would have to be Caleb Williams having issues in his first, you know, true road game um, that would, you know, potentially like having hiccups and not being able to get out to a quick, a quick start. Um, even if that happens, I would imagine he's going to get himself settled down before halftime and come out in the second half blazing at that point. Um, you know, or it very well may get to the point where, you know, he gets up enough and they're like, okay, good job for your first road game. Let's throw Rattler in there and he's going to have absolutely no problems because he completely torched the Jayhawks last year, and it's not like they really got any better. So um, I just I think this is going to be a complete blowout. I actually had said last week kind of early, and of course this was probably tinged a little bit by just how bad that Texas Tech game was, but you know, when I was asked what the line would have to be set out for me to consider taking Kansas, I think I said 65. Like, it's that bad. I uh, I mean, I think I thought the 30 and a half was pretty fair. I think it maths out to like a 56-14 Oklahoma victory, which that that sounds right. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if that's how it turned out. Uh, before I get you out of here, Andy, um, and once again, appreciate your time. This is something that nothing to do with this game, but something I wanted to ask just someone who is covering a, a big 12 team uh, that is staying put and not leaving for the Southeastern conference. <laughs> um, I'm curious, just your thoughts on what the four new schools and, you know, this is kind of a loaded question, just like, what do you think about the the four new schools and just kind of the future of this conference? Do you think Kansas stays in the big 12? Cause I've, I've very much like workshopped the idea that Kansas could be a big 10 school before too long because the academics are there and the basketball is there. And I don't know if the big 10 really cares that the football isn't that great, but what do you think about what's going to happen in the near future with the big 12? Oh man. How long do we have? I mean, I could probably go about 45 minutes <laughs> on this topic, but no, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So, so, I'm one of those people, I understand why Oklahoma and Texas left. I may not agree with some of the reasoning behind it, but I at least understand what they were going for and kind of what, what's happening there. I also do think that the Big 12 expanding the way that they did is probably the best case scenario for the Big 12. There was no way that the conference was going to fold. Um, you know, like a, lot, like a lot of people were, you know, gloom, doom and gloom predicting. Um, it was just a matter of who they grabbed. BYU always made sense. The last time that they were looking at expanding, like I, I assumed that they were going to pick up BYU you know, and maybe Cincinnati or they were going to get like Cincinnati and Memphis or something like last time and they didn't do it. Um, so it makes completely perfect sense to me that Cincinnati and BYU are two of the schools. Um, while I probably wouldn't like, I probably would have preferred a team like Memphis over like a UCF or something like that. It makes sense to have UCF and Houston both in there, just given what they have. I, I was a little surprised that Houston got pulled in because I didn't think that the other Texas schools would want another Texas school to have to compete with for recruiting, especially a, a team like Houston, where the main thing keeping them from getting a bunch of Texas recruits is the fact that they're not in a power conference right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. But what I do think the big 12 did is they solidified themselves, not only against this current wave of realignment, but in case it actually picks up again, you know, cause there's, I actually talked about this over on my podcast a few times in the last few months. Um, you know, there's lots of rumblings, that with what the SEC is planning on doing with like scheduling, uh, like pod scheduling and all that stuff, and you know a potential semifinal as, as opposed to just a conference championship, that, that might push a team or a conference like the Big Ten to have to expand a little quicker than they would normally you know want to. Um, Kansas is probably the one school right now that would both be available and would actually make sense for the Big Ten to expand to. Yes, the football team is absolutely atrocious, but with 
the, the coaching staff that they've hired, the recent additions, you know, the potential stadium uh, upgrades that they're doing, like these are all signs to showing that Kansas is actually investing in their football program and that it's going to get better. It can't be this bad for forever, um, especially when you have actually an administration that actually cares and is doing the kind of steps you need to lay that foundation for it. And the fact that Kansas basketball is what it is. It's like, you know, I think everybody nationally that follows college sports acknowledges that Kansas is one of two or three basketball programs that actually moves the needle. Like they are literally one of three properties, you know, the other being probably Kentucky and UCLA, like those, those basketball programs on their own are enough to entice someone to at least consider bringing you into the conference. And so with everything else, Kansas does, yes, the fact that they're academic, you know, like adds up to what the, the, the rest of the big 10 has, like it makes complete perfect sense. The problem is always going to be timing and like how you make that, that, ha- that happen. When Travis Goff was hired to come to Kansas as the AD, the expectation was that by the end of the grant of rights, so in 2025, that they were going to have to be navigating some sort of realignment conversation. Because I don't think anybody who was paying any attention expected the Big 12 to remain intact the way it was past 2025. Now, whether that meant that they brought new people in and, you know, you were kind of um, being on the receiving end of realignment to bring people in, or you were looking for another home somewhere, there was always going to be something happening. And so I think that's really what Kansas is prepared for, that they're ready for. I do think the Big 12 is also prepared for the fact that they're probably not going to be able to hold on to anybody, or I'm sorry, they're not going to be able to hold on to everybody because if the Big 10 comes calling, there would there's, there's not a single team in the Big 12 that's better off staying in the Big 12 than going to a, a conference like the Big 10. If the ACC expands, you know, yes, they have a horrible, you know, TV agreement right now, but they're much a much more stable-footed league. They have the opportunity, I think, to get a big deal later down the road. And even honestly, at this point, the Pac-12, yes, you're out and you're, you know, any of the big 12 teams that would come from the Pac-12 gives the Pac-12 now three time zones, helps them establish themselves a little bit more. I actually think the current or the, the, the future Big 12 is probably a stronger league than the Pac-12 or the ACC right now, especially in football. But we'll have to see how all that shakes out. But, you know, the, the Big 12 did what they needed to do to protect themselves against poaching, especially by the Big 10 moving forward. And they still have the opportunity to add additional teams later if they need to. It's going to be interesting to see what the Big 12 does from here. But on that note, that does it for today's episode of the Eyes on Oklahoma podcast. We appreciate Andy for coming on and talking OU Kansas with us and some big picture Jayhawk things. Uh, It was a really good conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, But that does it for us today. Once again, you can follow us on eyesonoklahoma.com, subscribe to the newsletter and get it straight to your inbox and subscribe to the eyes on Oklahoma podcast on all major podcast platforms. If you haven't already Apple stitcher, Google, Spotify, all the big ones should be there. And if it's not there, let me know. And we'll make sure to get those in the, in the proper, the, the feeds to the proper catalog. So, uh, with that said, if you, uh, also could do us one more little favor, Apple podcast app, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. It gets the word out about the show helps us tremendously. So, want to thank you all for listening, subscribing, and uh, for just, you know, discussing OU with us. And uh, it's, been, it's been a really fun uh, first, you know, few months on Eyes on Oklahoma. As I've mentioned, I'm probably going to continue to mention. Uh, but once again, just really appreciate you all uh, for helping make this thing happen. So with that said, my name is Joe Bettner, and we will catch you next week to break down all of the stuff that is uh, surely to be fun happening in Lawrence this weekend. And if anyone's going up there, safe travels. Uh, we will talk to you all next week.